Welcome back. It's time for another Waterproof Records. And the day that I'm recording this is Valentine's Day 2024. I don't know if you celebrate or get into it. Um, I don't very much. I'm not that crazy about it. But um, if you are celebrating right now, oh well, you'll be hearing this after the fact. But anyway, I guess I'll just say I love you. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> but that's not why you're here. You're not here to to hear all the ways that I, I care about you and I appreciate having you listen to the show. You're here to talk about bands and music and specifically this band because you saw the title of the episode, which we're on episode 53 now, which is kind of wild to me. We are adding up these numbers. It's a slow start on the show when I first started making Waterproof Records because it was so spaced out. But um, now we're getting pretty consistent and uh, I, I feel like before we know it, we'll be on the 100th episode. And by that time... Maybe I'll get my shit together, but until then we can just keep talking about bands, but I chose this band, um, on this holiday for very specific reasons, the, the love holiday, the love holiday, and you'll see why, but let's, let's just jump into the show. I'm excited to do this one because I have so much to say. Um, so without wasting any more time, it's time to talk about nothing shocking by Jane's Addiction. Let's go! Things are gonna change, I can feel it. If this gonna be that kind of party, I'm Before we get into today's titillating topic, boy, that popped on the mic there, titillating. It's definitely titillating, especially if you've seen the cover of this album. But before we get to that titillation, um, we're going to talk about DistroKid, my sponsor, and the, one of the main reasons that I can make this show happen. So I have a special link, distrokid.com slash VIP slash waterproof. If you use that 30% off your first year of music uploaded, you know about it. You, you've heard me talk about it. If this is the first time you're tuning in, DistroKid is how you get your music, your work out there to everyone like that. It's amazing. You use a service. They have an iOS app. You can upload your songs. You can split with everybody else in your band. Or if you're a solo artist, they make it super easy to see how much you're earning, how many people are listening to your music. And you're immediately on Spotify and Tidal and, and all the different platforms that you can listen to music, YouTube. Um, and they have a lot of extra features that you can enhance um, the art, the video, the, the way that your songs are being presented. So make sure you're taking advantage of DistroKid. Once Again, my link is just distrokid.com slash VIP slash waterproof and take advantage of that 30% off because, hey, it adds up. So that being said, it's time to talk about nothing shocking. And this is the first time that I'm going to do this uh, on Waterproof Records, but it won't be the last. But I'm kind of going to double album it today. I'm going to kind of do two albums in this podcast because I don't think I can talk about Jane's Addiction and nothing shocking without talking about the first live album, their debut album, which is a live recording. But that album was released in 1987. And that album is commonly referred to as Triple X because it was on a Los Angeles label known as Triple X. So people call it Triple X, um, even though it's just Jane's Addictions, Jane's Addiction Live. Um, and then their 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 big studio, their first studio album, which is technically their second album, is nothing shocking. Now, this isn't really the point of entry for me, because I think that when I first saw Jane's Addiction that I can recall, I feel like I saw the stop video um, on 120 minutes, which is on Ritual, which is coming out in 1990. Um, I was watching 120 minutes and I remember seeing the video for the song stop and I loved it. I have this very specific memory of sitting in seventh or eighth grade and I was sitting in class and I was singing kind of to myself. I was like, one come a day, the water will run. No man will stand for the things that he has done. Hoorah. I was singing that. And this kid behind me was like, is that a, is that a Christian song? And I was like, no. <laughs> no, it's not. It's Jane's addiction. It's, it's part of stop. Um, but I said up top, I said, I'm doing this on Valentine's day. And I also told you that little story about the Christian element of it, because 
I'm going to put out there right now as a warning, kind of a warning to you if you're listening in your car. And I know sometimes I drop the F-bombs on here when I get really passionate or sometimes the the subject matter gets a little bit heavier or emotional and I'm not appropriate for all ages. Um, but I would say this episode more than others, there's going to be some um, talk about, you know, there's going to be a sex talk and there's going to be some some of the the profanities. So if you don't like the profanities, you're going to want to cover your ears because I'm going to drop a few because you just can't help get a little bit naughty with Jane's addiction. You know what I'm saying? Because that was the thing about this band is that uh, it felt naughty. Felt, you know what I'm talking about? It felt naughty uh, when I was a young lad listening to bands. You know, of course, there were things like two live crew or something that was like really raunchy, really naughty. But Something about the energy of Jane's addiction, um, it was dangerous. Uh, it, it felt wild, bacchanal, orgy-like, sensual, sexual, um, really had this crazy wild energy. And for good reason, because the more you know about Jane's addiction and Perry Farrell and this whole group coming together, um, they really present that energy in, in those days and even still to to this day in some ways, um, kind of that, that we're having a wild art, artistic experience with music. That seems to be a big part of the magic ingredient that is Jane's addiction. But back to really the, the point of discovery. Um, I see the video for Stop. I like it. And then, of course, Ben Caught Stealing, their big hit. But like you know, I was raised in a Christian household, so I'm not going to be able to go pick up Ritual de lo Habitual with the cover, with the, the, the artistic boobies. And then let's go back to 1988's Nothing Shocking, which we're talking about in the front, which you all know was another controversial cover. If you've never seen it, there are two naked women conjoined with their hair on fire. But here's the thing. They're just statues. They're just sculptures. They are body casts made by Perry Farrell. He made them. They were body casts made from his girlfriend at the time, Casey Nicoli. And he put this structure together. So that's not even a real person. Those aren't two real women. It's just a sculpture. It's a work of art. And um, but yet you it gotten so much controversy at the time as a controversial cover. Um, nine out of the 11 major music retailers refused to carry it. I think it ended up being put in brown paper sleeves because this is still before we have the parental advisory. Um, and, you know, I think Ritual Day at Low Habitual would go on to have the cover that it initially had. And then it had this white cover you know, that was censoring it, which is the one that I, I think I ended up getting. But nothing shocking was shocking for young kids in the in 1990, 1991 that are just discovering this stuff, especially where I came from. Now, if you came from a place where um, you were exposed to a lot of different types of thing and art and whatever, but I came from a sheltered community, a church community, Tulsa, Oklahoma, you know, buying CDs or tapes with with boobies on the cover was just not going to fly. Um, so it wasn't like I could rush out and buy after hearing Ben Cut Stealing and hearing Stop and, and get that album. But the doorway opens, the doorway opens to Jane's Addiction because my brother and I are listening to that college radio station, and he had a friend at the time who bought him Jane's Addiction Live on cassette, got him that live album. So this is the doorway. This is the entry point, and this is why I want to talk about Nothing Shocking and that album. Um, I didn't want to just do an album only on Jane's Addiction Live because I feel like it only goes so far. I want to talk about the evolution from that live album to their 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 studio album. But Jane's Addiction Live on cassette was a big deal for us. Big deal for Joel and I. Controversial because, again, it had that wild, unbridled feeling. I believe there's a scene in uh, the film Parenthood, the original, the one with Steve Martin, where Keanu Reeves and Martha Plimpton are fooling around in their bedroom. 
And she leans over and she hits the tape player and Pigs and Zen starts playing. And that really encapsulates the feeling that listening to something like Pigs and Zen felt like for me at the time. It felt like that's what the older teenage kids are, are making out and fooling around to in their bedrooms. You know, like here I am, I'm just hitting puberty. I'm just starting to grow up, but there are things starting to happen to the older kids. There's doors closing, there's um, discovery, you're hearing stories and you're thinking to yourself, you're like Jane's addiction feels like that, that wild party energy. Now, uh, the first album that they put out in 87, this live album, it was recorded at the Roxy in LA recorded live. But an interesting fact, if you didn't know this, they actually added in the crowd noise in post in the studio and it was taken from a Los Lobos concert. If you didn't know that, that sound of like the crowd and whatnot is added in after the fact, because I believe they recorded the show. They had all the mics and whatnot, but you really can't you know, I don't know if they got back in and they were like, wow, you really can't hear that this is live because you're just hearing the instruments. You're you're hearing these fine tuned, you know, they got all the, the coverage, but maybe the sound of the crowd just wasn't clear. So they're like, we want to make it clear that it's a live show. So I thought that was interesting. I never knew that because the, the, the crowd, the applause, the cheering, the timing of it all seems so specific and so real. But they added it in, that in after the fact. But that first album I have so many memories of, of my brother and I listening to it and then him specifically where he was in his faith at the time, a tremendous amount of religious guilt on him. Um, you know, I remember him returning home one time from a, from a Christian retreat and him taking the Jane's addiction live and throwing it in the trash. Or, I mean, he told me he did. Um, I, I went to look for it and he was like, I threw it away, you know, and I'm not, I'm not, criticizing my brother we had we dealt with things like that all the time you'd be at these christian summer camps and you'd come home with this impulse that you got to get rid of your secular music that was like a big thing back then you know um but this album i have so many memories of of kicking it off with you know um ch uh trip away right trip away and then it closes with chip away um but there's so many amazing songs on here but there's some standout moments which are the pigs in Zen on this album, as opposed to the pigs in Zen on nothing shocking. I remember the one on the live one even more because Perry Farrell does these like these uh, monologues, these like speeches in the, in the middle of the songs and the one on nothing shocking. He, you know, he says a bunch of stuff like uh, leave a message, call you back, you know, which uh, I remember when I had a, um, a answering machine, in my room for a short time in college, I remember recording, leave a message, call you back from pigs and Zen as my little tape thing. But I digress on the Jane's addiction live album. He does this thing. He goes, I'm going to do it for you. He goes, Oh baby, I know about war, but I just want to fuck. <laughs> and then he goes, I know about pain and suffering and being in the cold, but I just want to fuck. And I'm telling you right now, my little kid brain just exploded, exploded. I was like, it just felt so wild. You know, I didn't even know the, the, the weight of what he's saying there in those moments. I just hear him saying fuck. And I, I, gosh, I, I can remember it so clearly in my mind, hearing this album and, and feeling that way. And the other standout moments of live are I would for you, you know, this solitary bass driven song. I would for you. Um, it's just the bass playing these chords back and forth. And, you know, a would for you carries on and on. Now, I this is very close around to the time where I get my first real major girlfriend, Kate, and he says, um, I always think I always thought he said I would for you, Kate, but I think he's saying I would for you, Case, because he's talking about Casey uh, Nicoli. Um, but I always thought he was saying I would for you, Kate. So it, it had like that double meaning for me. You know, I would for you, Kate. Um, that is beautiful. And I actually really enjoy Jane Says on the live album more 
than on Nothing Shocking. Because on Nothing Shocking, they added the steel drums. They added that reggae touch, which is cute. And that's what made it the big single that it is. You know, the the one you know on the radio, the big Jane says that's played around the world and everybody knows has those reggae steel drums. But the first version of Jane Says I ever heard was this very stripped down version on Jane's Addiction Live. And that's my preferred version. I like that one more. Um, before I forget the re- remaining songs, you know, like as I'm sitting here going through it, I don't have them in front of me, so it's not easy to remember, but there's the cover. I know most of you listen, but it had a painted Perry Farrell in the front shirtless kind of in some kind of, you know, like almost Navajo or native American, um, stylings around his body. Um, but, uh, you know, see this in my mind so clearly. Yeah. We've got opens up with trip away. Like I thought whores, you know, songs like whores. Little Jacob's mind is is just being exposed to so many things. Pigs and Zen, 1%. I can tell you last year, I think it was last year, maybe it was 2022, I got to go see um, Porno for Pyro's play. And uh, I went to the Porno for Pyro's show here in LA. And during the night, of course, Perry would bring out some Jane songs. And let me tell you right now, that night, they played 1% off of the this album off Jane's Addiction Live and I lost my goddamn mind. I lost my mind. I was going nuts. I was I think I was at the will turn and I remember looking around like looking for acknowledgement to those around me like it's 1%. It's can you believe it? I couldn't believe it because this song is a song that I don't believe um, was ever re-recorded for any other album. If it, if it shows up again, it's on a compilation or maybe it's on kettle whistle. I don't know, but I only knew it to be on this. So this is a deep cut, early old school Jane's addiction song. And I was just singing along and had so much excitement in my heart to be hearing 1% brought me right back. Like I said, I would for you that slow. I love that piece of music my time the harmonica in it again that's another one that i don't think that they um they ever re-recorded um on another album it was just on this one and there's the jane says the one that i love now this is funny because the next two songs after this rock and roll and sympathy now what do you think happened to young me when i hear these songs i'm like wow really great song rock and roll by Jane's Addiction. Really great song, Sympathy, by Jane's Addiction. No, I would figure out maybe a year or two later that both of those were covers. This is what I would like to call uh, landslide syndrome. I'm going to officially coin that right now. Landslide syndrome. Landslide syndrome is where you hear uh, the Smashing Pumpkins sing the song Landslide and your parents never played you one single Fleetwood Mac song growing up. So you think to yourself, wow, this is a really nice, sweet, lovely, beautiful acoustic song by the Smashing Pumpkins. And then later you go, oh, that's Stevie Nicks. That's Fleetwood Mac. And you learn, oh, it was a cover. Well, the same thing happened on Jane's Addiction Live on the first album when I heard rock and roll. I didn't know it was a Lou Reed cover and Sympathy. I didn't know Sympathy for the Devil was for the Rolling Stones. Now, you may scoff at that. You might be like, those are huge, huge songs. I know. You don't have to tell me. I know. Sympathy for the Devil, I once I figured out that that was Rolling Stones, the, then, you know, I believe Guns N' Roses would cover for Interview with a Vampire or whatever, but that is a, obviously a huge fixture song that shows up over and over and over again but at this time it's not like my parents were showing me the best of the rolling stones the best of blue reed you know and it wasn't playing on mtv so i didn't know at the time that those were both covers but they're excellent covers i still have a real big soft spot in my my heart for the jane's addiction version of sympathy for the devil which is just titled sympathy on this um and then before we get into nothing shocking like i said it's the double album day before we get into nothing shocking, um, chip away. It's just this weird tribal drum, drum kind of chaotic, like you're like you're high, like you're taking some some drugs or something. Or at least I thought. <laughs> but um, I have such a sweet memory of my brother and I uh, on a hike, and we're on these trails, and he's. <laughs> this makes this makes me so happy. Joel, I don't even know if you ever listened to this show. I know you've been on it, but we're on this hike and we're walking and the trail splits up 
and it splits down so we, I can see him up there and I'm down here, whoever was wherever. But there's this, there's a lyric in there where the, where all of a sudden the song drops out and you can hear the drumsticks kind of rattling on the side of the snare. He's like, I took the high road and you took the low road. We both wore dirty faces. Like he says that. And I remember being on this hike with my brother and we're looking at each other and, he, and we go, I took the high road and you took the low road. And they both are like, we both made dirty faces. And I was like making a, a face at him. He's making a face at me. Um, it just always reminds me of that. So I'll always love that random, crazy, chaotic piece of music because it takes me right back to my brother and I clowning on these songs. Um, you know, it's fun to remember. But that being said, that was James Addiction Live 1987 on cassette. This tape that made us feel like we were going to get in trouble. Um, And I mentioned earlier that I had gone to go see Porno for Pyros. I think it was in 2022. Now, I know that James Addiction opened for Smashing Pumpkins on the last tour. And I saw them as well for that, which was great. It was great to see um, Jane's Addiction performing together on stage and doing so many amazing Jane's songs. Uh, Dave Navarro, unfortunately, wasn't on tour. He had stepped down because of long COVID and health uh, issues. Um, but I think Troy Van Leeuwen, um, Failure, Queens of the Stone Age, stepped in. I hope I'm saying his name right. It's probably somebody's going to come for me on that. But I know it's a the, the last name is, is probably pronounced differently. Um, but anyway, I saw Jane's Addiction on that tour and they were dancing you know, dancing girls on the stage. And then when I went to go see porno for pyros, there were girls dancing on poles. There was art. There was like somebody painting. There was, there was so much there, you know, people in drag and, and it was just, you know, people walking around like really high boots and almost like met gala type outfits outfits. And that is just so them, you know, that is so the culture of Perry Farrell and Jane's addiction and, and that free love, you know? And when I talk about the sexual stuff, I truly feel that the, the, that Perry Farrell's adoration of the female form of bodies of bodies in general, excuse me. Cause I mean, you there, I think that there's a little bit of both energies uh, uh, present in a lot of his work, but, primarily the feminine form he he ha, he adores it he deifies it it's like a goddess thing you know how sometimes that like naked imagery can be misconstrued or or construed can be understood as objectifying right sexualizing i think that sometimes when it's used in certain ways sure of course I happen to really like it when when album covers are a little bit risque, but I mean that's probably from my religious youth and feeling, you know, really repressed. <laughs> but I love sexy album covers. I always have. It's been maybe because it was so taboo. But like when I saw Deftones, the Cars, um, the Scorpions, uh, nothing shocking, uh, uh, Pixies, Surfer Rosa, like anytime. I was like, ooh, there was something about an album cover that was sexy. Rolling Stones. What's the other one? Suede. Placebo. I could go on and on and on. Um, I always loved those. And it wasn't just because it was like for horny reasons. I mean, obviously, I mean, Jesus, I'm human. But I just liked the fact that it was kind of um, a beautiful nude or erotic image that was being paired with music. I really enjoyed it. But it might rub people the wrong way. I've had conversations before where I've talked to women and other people that were like, I don't know. It's not for me. But when it comes to Perry Farrell and Jane's addiction, I have never felt like the use of the nudity or the bodies or the women or anything was objectifying. It always felt very elevated, deified, goddess-like worship adored. Like this is, this is beautiful. This is amazing. I don't know. I don't know if you agree with me, but I, I, I have felt that. Um, but this album, what's so interesting about nothing shocking is if you read up a little bit about this band coming together and at the time, you know, Jane's addiction has had many iterations of different members. Primarily it's always 
you know, Perry Farrell, Stephen Perkins. And then they've had some, you know, ins and outs with the bass player, Eric Avery over the years and Dave Navarro, you know, in ins and outs. But the core that is in on the live album and then on this one are those four. Perry Farrell, Dave Navarro, Stephen Perkins, and Eric Avery. That's who we're dealing with. And Perry is older than the rest of the band members. And the band comes together. I think it's in uh, 1985. Perry Farrell is in a a band in L.A. called Psycom. And that band's kind of coming apart. He meets Eric Avery. He wants to start playing music with Eric Avery. Eric is never really the new official member of Psycom. They break up. And then they're trying to get this band together. They're all living in this, this house, this crazy, like, 16 artists living in this house all together, you know, where they're, they're hanging up egg cartons and carpets and things like that to try to mute out the sound. Cause they're getting in trouble all the time. There's drug use, there's heroin, there's sex. It's just wild, you know, compound music, compound of people. And, um, this is where the band name starts. They have somebody there in the house. Jane is her name and she's a heroin addict. Um, she's on heroin and she has very interesting perspectives and stories. And she's got, interesting outlooks on life and she shares her stories in life with Perry and with Eric. And they have this, you know, these interactions with Jane who lives in the house. Um, Bainter, I believe is her name. And I think it's, uh, Perry is sitting with his girlfriend at the time, um, Casey. And, and she's like, well, what if we, what if you called your band like Jane's heroin adventure or something like Jane's heroin, something. And he's like, no, I, we don't want to put heroin in the name, but the Jane's addiction, is where that's where it comes from. It comes from this real person living in the house that was on heroin at the time and and just offered a really unique, eclectic, strange outlook on life, but was a fighter, wasn't willing to kind of stand down, um, you know, had, had a lot of things that she believed in. So that really represented the band. So it's around this time that Jay, uh, Perry and Eric are playing together and they're looking for a drummer and Eric asks his sister, his younger sister, if her, her current boyfriend, Steven Perkins is a drummer, you know, if he'll come play with him and he's hesitant at first because he has such a different style of music and interests. But then basically Steven Perkins come along, comes along and he brings Dave Navarro. And what's so wild about the pairing of all four of them is they all have very different musical sensibilities. And that's what you can hear. That's so interesting about Jane's addiction. Nothing shocking in ritual de la habitual. It's, it's the pairing of very different backgrounds, bringing together this style of music. The 1980s LA music scene was like metal hair metal. And they talk about it a lot. They talk about it was, it was a kind of, you know, it was a mess because everything on the sunset strip was pay to play, pay to play, you know, pay $500 to, play the Viper room or the rainbow room or whatever, pay $500. And, you know, Perry Farrell said nobody who was any good had $500, you know, like the most talented people didn't have $500 to throw out to pay to play. So they had to figure out ways to play in LA on their own. So they went downtown and they played these, these, uh, these concert halls, these ballrooms, these theaters, these old theaters, and this is the place it's like the Roxy and a place called scream. And they're playing in these venues where Jane's addiction is setting up. And not only are they playing live, but they're bringing out, you know, transvestites and a motorcycle and a work of art. And, a, you know, they're, they're showing the world that it's an experience. You know, I, it, it's like, like a, like a church, but of like the senses and of the body. It's like an artist church. It's like a, and it's, it's got that darkness. I think I read somewhere like, like a voodoo church. And that's so true. Um, there were all these videos shown to us church kids growing up that were like to show the dangers of like Satan or like of a sinful life. And they would show these like horrible, you know, poorly made VHS tapes to show us about like the end times and revelation and, you know, just, just living in sin. And I feel like Jane's addiction would have been like candidate number one to show in those videos. There's this interesting compilation from, um, I think it's that person online who called everything is terrible. They made this compilation film called the great Satan. And I used to stay up during the lockdown and just watch it. Um, they basically cut together all these clips from those types of films, those like biblical 
lessons about staying away from Satan and the enemy and the corruption. And this person put like a super cut together. It's not a very digestible film. It's like one of those things that nobody could normally get through that. I don't think unless you had some kind of background and you wanted to see it, but I used to sit and watch it. I've watched it like three or four times. Um, usually drunk, but it was an interesting experience because it's like the sensory journey of seeing all these Christian um, elements just back to back. But that's what Jane's addiction felt like. They felt like a uh, like wild orgy voodoo church. Like this is decadent. This is bacchanal. This is sinful. This is you know you're you're really giving in to all the pleasures of the world, and I fucking loved it. I fucking loved it. You know, my brother felt guilt about it. I felt guilt about it, but I also loved it. That's that's why um, it still draws me into this day. It just felt like, ah, I love this. So the band has this art style, this love style. And we all know Perry Farrell is the creator of Lollapalooza, bringing different styles together, all different bands, everybody from Susie and the Banshees to Ice Cube and um, no, Ice-T, sorry, Body Count. Am I thinking of the right tour? I don't know. Anyway, um, they come together. Dave Navarro's guitar chops are from like metal. He learns how to shred. He's a rocker, right? And then you've got Stephen Perkins, who's like a deadhead. Now, Dave, I thought this was funny. Dave Navarro and Stephen Perkins were both Grateful Dead fans and followed around the band for a little while in their youth. But Stephen Perkins has this tribal element to his drumming. He loves the Grateful Dead. He's got a lot more of that jazz kind of cool influence there. Then you go to Eric Avery on the bass, who's like loves Joy Division and, and punk and has this really driving bass. And then you've got Perry, who likes reggae and punk and all of these styles are coming together in such a fascinating way to create this sound. And we really hear it come together on this album, which was produced by Dave Jordan, who's famously recorded the Allison chains. You know, we talked about Dave Jordan on the dirt album, uh, dirt episode, Rolling Stones, countless other bands. Dave Jordan was a very, very big record producer. And this came out, nothing shocking came out in August of 1988. I think it's August 23rd. But the, essentially, we're going on. It's 36 years ago that this album came out. This August, it'll be 36 years, which is just crazy. This was coming out at a time that I was still pretty young. So I, I would not have heard this as it was releasing in 88. I would have only been, you know, nine or 10 years old. Um, but once we were in on the live album and I knew about this one, I somehow I don't even know how I got it. I got nothing shocking with the boobies in the cover, the flame heads and everything. I got that CD probably from a mail order thing and I got it. And I was like, this was the first one I had before ritual, which had stop and been caught stealing. And, um, you know, so many amazing songs on that album. I mean, what's incredible is they, Oh, by the way, I was talking about how they widened out the cover. That's I know you're, if you're listening, but here on Spotify, they have Jane's addiction, it's the white cover with the article one from the constitution and the parental advisory. That's the cover that I remember having, but on ritual, of course is three days, which is just an opus, a 10 minute opus. And it's incredible, but I owned nothing shocking first and up the beach starts with just this kind of like, oh, how do you put that? It's like an instrumental piece almost with just this, this guitar wailing over these oohs and ahs and him saying home, you know, like you're standing on a shoreline and you're about to be brought out to sea with the, the, the with the most wild party cruise of your life. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. And then you get into ocean size, fantastic song, had a dad um, written by, from the perspective of Eric, Eric Avery discovering, um, that the father who raised him wasn't his dad, that he had a, a real, that it was an adopted dad and he had a biological father. Now, Perry took those lyrics and took them further, but there's a lot of credit to be given to Eric Avery as a bassist on this album. When you think about the iconic things like mountain song, and there's so many songs in here, like, 
uh, Ted just a minute where you hear that do 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 you know that's that's all Eric Avery he really does bring so much uh, to the band that I don't know if he ever gets enough credit for um, had a dad Ted just a minute which is about at the time Ted Bundy was on trial um, you know he was on trial for the for all the murders and so this was a this was a whole thing kind of pointing out the sex is violence, you know, the, the media taking this serial killer story and just running with it and making it so, so much hype. Um, you know, these little audio clips in there and standing in the shower thinking cute song. I, you know, I wouldn't say standing in the shower thinking is one that I um, spent a lot of time with, but this is a hot take. This is a hot take. Mountain song is on this album. And it is one of my favorite of all time Jane's Addiction songs. But my hot take is this. My favorite song on this album is Summertime Rolls. <gasps> my favorite song on this album is Summertime Rolls. And I stand on that. Now, I love Mountain Song. And I will crank that in my car. I made a video about it. Mountain Song is famously every uh, bass sound check at every concert for like 20 years. If you went to a concert and they were checking the bass, somebody up there would be playing mountain song. It's, it's one of the most iconic bass intros of all time. And I love it. Do not get me wrong. I would say it is. If this was a photo finish at the Olympics, it would be <laughs> here. I'm, I've got my nose at the photo finish ready. So here is summertime rolls gold. And then, Here's silver and it's mountain song. That's just for me personally. Summertime rolls. <laughs> mountain song. Very close. Very, very close. Summertime rolls for me is the song that if I made a mixtape for you, you were going to get summertime rolls on there. Just the way that it builds and goes. The whole journey through that song is magic. I need to make some kind of video about summertime rolls because it, it is um, such a pocket of time in my life and it takes me back. But that is, that song is incredible. Then we get to mountain song. Now, you know it. If you've never really spent any time with Jane's addiction, you know, mountain song. Do, 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 coming down the mountain. So I have to tell you guys a funny little story. Um, I'm in a cover band, nineties cover band called temple of the dads. And we text each other about what's on the lineup and what we're going to be performing and doing. And I'm the lead singer of this band. And we do occasionally, you know, when you're covering nineties artists, like there's certain artists that are kind of, I'm not going to be able to touch. I'm never going to be able to do Chris Cornell. I have a very difficult time sometimes with Lane Staley's high notes from Allison chains, Shannon Hoon, impossible. These, these vocalists and Perry Farrell is another one of those vocalists that I just, it's like, I can't get to that note. I can't get to that range. So they said on the text, thread, we were like, we should try mountain song. And I wrote on the text thread. I was like, you guys, I can't do mountain song. And they were like, well, you could just sing it in your own register. I got, I got to tell you, we went to band practice on Sunday and I tried doing it. I tried using, I have this pedal, which will harmonize with you, um, and help fill out things a little bit more. I've used it on some of the songs to make it sound fuller, but uh, we tried it and it sounded like dog shit. And I was like, I don't know if we can cover mountain song unless, unless people will be able to hear me singing an, an entire octave lower and it sounds normal. So if you're hoping to see us perform, um, Mountain song at a Temple of the Dead show. Not anytime soon, unless I can have my testicles removed. Because, oh my God, Perry Farrell still has this soaring high voice. Um, and then, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but Mountain Song deals a lot with uh, Perry Farrell's mother's suicide. I actually didn't know that. That cash in now. That, those are lyrical references to that. And I, I had no idea. You know, you listen to this song that feels so epic and, you know, triumphant. Like for me, mountain song is just like the video. I said, it makes you feel like you're on a mountainside. They made a video for mountain song and it was just them playing live, um, at the Roxy, I believe. And they, they gave it to MTV and they're like, no, there's a, a naked woman in this video. <laughs> so they had to do something that trimmed all that out and just showed the live footage. I feel like all the videos of Jane's addiction, there's always a camera 
down by their legs, just pointing up towards their crotches. Again, there's that sexual energy of Jane's addiction. It was always like Perry Farrell standing, like straddling. And then the camera's like pointing right up and then it pan over and there's Dave Navarro. Um, Dave Navarro was definitely somebody that, um, I, I felt like had a, had like a, he had a sexual energy to him too, but like in a magician type way. But I will say he's cool. Don't get me wrong. It was very cool. I, he, during the nineties, he had those nibble rings, those hoops. And this is a true story. This is me being so, this is, this is when you have a podcast where you're the guy who like shares the stories. You just, you're like, fine, I have no shame. I'll just tell you the the thing. I thought his nipple rings looked so awesome that I wanted to have them too. I was living in Wheaton North, Wheaton, the town, Wheaton, Illinois. I was going to Wheaton North and I wanted to have the nipple rings, the two silver nipple rings like him, because I thought they looked awesome. And, uh, I was hanging out with this friend and there was no way my parents were going to let me go get my nipples pierced. And it, it seemed like a crazy idea anyway, but we had some drinks. This was really the first time that I started like experimenting with drinking during high school, um, this year that I was living in Wheaton and miserable. Um, and I tried with this friend to numb it with ice and tried to pierce my nipple by myself. When I tell you that I screamed so loud the needle got halfway through the nipple and I hit some kind of nerve and it was so terrible. I stopped and I will. No, thank you. No, thank you. Good on you, Dave Navarro for having those through your nipples, but that hurt like a bitch. And I stopped and no, <laughs> but then we get to idiots rule. Idiot's Rule is, uh, I did not know this, but it has guest horn section on Idiot's Rule is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers and from Fishbone, a guy from Fishbone, I'm, Angelo, I believe. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to look it up in time. I'll, I'll here, I'll see if I can find it real quick. So Flea, Flea and Fishbone on Idiot's Rule. Let's see how quickly we can get this up. Yeah, Idiot's Rule. Yeah, Angelo Moore. I was right. So Flea and Angelo Moore from Fishbone uh, and Christopher Dowd. They were playing horns on Idiot's Rule. I actually never knew that. I didn't know Flea played uh, the trumpet. Apparently he was a he was a trumpet player and he was good enough. And they were wanting to add this kind of cool element to that song while in the studio with Dave Jordan. And they were like, hey, we know some of the best players in town. We hang out with them all the time. So they invite in flea. They invite in, um, Angelo and Chris from fishbone and they add in the horn section. I actually never knew that until just recently. Then we get to Jane says, which this is the radio friendly version. The one that's probably heard around the world more than anything. And it's got the steel drums. It's a great version of the song. I do like this version of the song, but again, if you've never heard the one off the first album live, I think that's where it's at. Now we get to thank you boys, which just sounds like a musical interlude that you don't, you know, you don't care. Just do 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 It's very loungy, you know, bah, bah. and then all of a sudden Perry Farrell at the end goes, thank you boys. And there's applause. Um, when I was growing up, we used that song when making like home movies, we would use it as like a lounge piece of music. I remember several of the, the home movies I made. Um, we had thank you boys in there. But I recently learned that the story behind Thank You Boys was anytime they were playing live and a speaker would blow or there was a sound problem or something needed to be set up, um, Stephen, Eric and Dave would play that little loungy thing. And it was like what they would do every single time. If there was an issue, they would do the loungy thing. So if you were a fan of Jane's Addiction and you'd seen them live, you knew that Thank You Boys was that's what that was. So if you got this album, that was like a tip of the hat to the fans that saw them over and over again, seen them multiple times. This loungy piece of music was, hey, you know, every time you see us play and we do that little filler, well, here it is on the album. And then we close out with Pigs and Zen. And like I said, Pigs and Zen is a great song. Um, leave a message, call you back. Um, it's a great song. But again, I think because my entry point was on the live one, I just love that rant in the middle. Um, that's nothing shocking. I, you know, I, I knew I could talk a while on this. I knew I could get into some of the, the, uh, the feelings that I had of this album. 
and the kind of orgy quality of this band that four musicians from such different paths would come together. And there was tension. There's tension during nothing shocking. Um, there's tension because Perry, as they're signing the deal with Warner brothers and they're putting this together, he learns about publishing rights and he learns about kind of the split and he realizes like, well, this is kind of my band and I am definitely writing the bulk of the lyrics and the music and the songs. And his, in his vantage point was, you know, he was older too. He's like, I'm definitely bringing the most to the table. I'm not telling them they can't do what I'm doing, but I am doing it. So when it came down to negotiating, he requested more. And so everybody else, he would have basically, you know, more than half of the rights to everything. And then, they would split amongst the remaining members what was left. Dave Navarro famously wore a t-shirt at the time that said 12% on it because that's all he was getting paid. And this caused a huge amount of tension in this band, huge, because it was a slap in the face to the other three members that they felt like, oh, we're just not as important. And that really drove a wedge between the whole project and they were already on the verge of breaking up. They almost broke up while making nothing shocking. There was a practice where um, Dave Jordan drove up and they were all in a car. And, and you know, basically Perry said to D Dave, the band's breaking up. There's not going to be an album. So they brought in like a Warner Brothers mediation to fix it, solve it. So they got through this. They get through the next album. But again, the music for nothing shocking and ritual were all written before both of these albums were recorded. You know, they they had 18 songs that they'd been t playing live with for years. So when they go in the studio, it's not like they're writing the album. They just were making the decision as to which songs. And it's said that Perry Farrell made the choice. He's like, look, we're not we're not putting stop on nothing shocking. You know, we're not putting three days on nothing shocking. We're not going to put. Um, you know, these songs, cause we're not, they're not ready to be out there yet. They're, they're bigger songs. They're, they're ready for the next release. So he smartly kind of withheld them and he was right. It was much better to have those songs go on the follow-up once they'd gotten more attention and more acclaim and, and really solidify themselves as, you know, it's been said that Perry Farrell is the godfather of alternative and you'd be hard pressed to argue against that. Sure, there were others that were doing it before him, but this is this is a guy who was rocking in a band called Psycom in 1985 doing his own thing. And by the time Jane's Addiction is coming along, this is 87. This is so early. And for those of you who are older than me, you were watching MTV and you were seeing the Bauhaus and the, you know, you were seeing the alternative music, the the goth scene and the the Euro pop and the different, the punk and whatnot that was coming up in the 80s that I was missing because I was too young, the underground, right? Um, but this was somebody who was really starting to bring all of these styles to the forefront and you've got to give credit to Jane's addiction for really being one of the first major, major alternative bands to get the recognition to open up the scene and pave the way for what would happen in 1991, you know, with, without Jane's addiction, I, that that's a red carpet for a lot of these bands to have all of these styles come together and uh, I thought it was interesting because I read about it, too, that Dave Navarro's guitar, he was using this effect. I'm forgetting the name of it, but it was a guitar effect, like a processor that caused this kind of swirling echo. And when he first started playing with Perry Farrell, Perry was using it on his voice. And he thought that was an interesting kind of synergy, you know, symbiotic relationship. These two both using the swirling, they're swirling guitars, they're swirling vocals. Um, but that, like I said, they would they would have this tension about the rights, which they would then solve later. You know, they would, they would come around and grow up and become adults and realize like, well, there was, he had justified reasons for wanting what he wanted, but we just didn't understand at the time. And they, they came to grips with it. You know, they understood um, and they, they figured it out and they've all played together and come back. And Jane's addiction has lived on and toured with the smashing pumpkins. Like I said, and, Right now, Porno for Pyros is doing their farewell tour, um, but I don't think we've heard the last from Jane's Addiction, um, to be honest. But this album, I know 
we talked a lot about the body and sex and fucks and you know all those things but i think that that's a big part of this um of this band and uh i was excited to do it really takes me back to that era in my life but that being said i think we've covered two albums back to back in this episode that will give you an overview of what it was like to have nothing shocking. And if you've never heard that first live album, I highly recommend you do. It's got a great energy behind it. Um, it really captures what I think it must've been like to see Jane's addiction playing live in LA in 1987. I think Dave Jordan had been told before he agreed to produce the record and nothing shocking. He'd been told you got to check out this band and they'd send him all these songs. He heard him drives to LA sees this club where there's thousands of kids lined up outside to, to see Jane's addiction play. They really had cultivated a major, major scene here that I wasn't here for. You know, like I said, I was young. I didn't live here, but that is Jane's addiction. That is, uh, what a wild band, what a wild uh, group of people that came together to create the music that they did. So thank you for joining me this week on waterproof records. That was a lot of fun to talk about. And uh, I had a lot of fun reminiscing and just sharing the stories about me and my brother and the Christian guilt that we felt. And uh, I'm glad I didn't throw any of my Jane's addiction away. Still have it. So thank you for joining me for Waterproof Records. I've been your fearless now, once fearful host, <laughs> Jacob Givens. And uh, I just am so grateful for you. I hope you're telling people to check out the show. I've been talking to a couple new guests coming up on the horizon. And I'm excited because I've got some cool episodes coming up soon. But I can't make the show without this growing and continuing to become a, a well-known podcast. So please spread the word. Give me those comments. Give me those likes or whatever. And uh, we'll keep doing the show. Make sure you check out distrokid.com slash VIP slash waterproof. Get that 30% off. And we'll see you next time on Waterproof Records. Adios. Things are going to change. I can feel it. It just won't be that kind of party.